Hello and welcome. You're tuned in to Embodied Astrology. My name is Renee. I'm a consulting astrologer, somatic intuitive, movement educator, and visual artist. I understand astrology through my lens of embodiment and as a spatial and environmental awareness practice. I think astrology is an amazing tool for working with timing and process and for contextualizing our experiences. In today's episode, I'll be talking about the sign Taurus and Taurus season, which is the 30-day span of time between April 19th and May 20th. In part one of the podcast, I'll discuss Taurus through the lens of embodiment and somatic awareness, and in part two of the podcast, I'll take a look at the astrological events of the next 30 days and discuss my interpretations of these events through personal, collective, and political perspectives. I also offer audio horoscopes where I break down the major themes of Taurus season for all 12 signs. You can find the horoscopes along with additional writing on Taurus season at embodiedastrology.com in the horoscopes section. For day-to-day astrological guidance, check out my extended forecasts and month-ahead calendar where I give you daily, creative, meditative, and embodied prompts for working with planetary aspects and lunar cycles. Subscriptions to the month-ahead offerings are available by donation at any amount. If this work is helpful for you, the best way to support it is to share it with your friends and through your networks, and to subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes Podcast. Your one-time and recurring financial donations and subscriptions are also so appreciated and essential in sustaining the production of this work. Thank you. All right, well, welcome everyone to Taurus season, and thanks for being here. Thanks for listening. I'd like to begin this episode just by paying attention for a moment to where I am, where you are. We are in our bodies, no matter what locations, what time or space in the future you might be listening from. If you're listening, you're listening from inside your body and you're listening from some location on the planet, presumably. So let's just take a moment and ground in that truth that even in this time of rapidly changing circumstances, of a lot of uncertainty, of many, many differences in experience and perspective, there is something that is consistent and that unites us And that something is that we are all here connected in the material realm. So take a few moments and just settle in. Try and connect with your body. You might connect with your body through a felt sense, tuning your attention to the inner sensations of your body as you breathe, as you move. Just paying attention to our bodies for a couple of seconds will reveal that there's always so much happening inside the body. The heart beating, the blood pumping, the breath moving, and then so many sensations rippling simultaneously underneath the skin through organs, through tissues, pleasant and unpleasant, neutral, bizarre. Just tuning our attention into the body. And then taking a moment and attuning our attention to the space. Where are you right now? Where are you listening from? What are the objects and the materials around you? 
Are you inside? Are you outside? Are you in and in between? What kind of light is this time of day, this season? What kind of sounds outside, outside of my voice are drifting into your ears? And if it makes sense for you, or in whatever way it may make sense, take a moment just to honor the material, the tissues of your body, the material reality of where you are, the actual location, the land. Just taking a moment to honor this as sacred. No matter any of the other descriptors that we might use for our experience or what we think is going on. I've heard a wise, wise person say that there is no place that there is not sacred. And there are only places that have been desecrated, which means to treat something that is sacred with violence. But there is no place that is not sacred. No place on earth, no place in ourselves. So as an invitation to myself, as I begin this episode, talking about Taurus, and as an invitation to you listening, as we consider Taurus together, Taurus is a symbol of the embodied material, the substance that is um, embodied and what is embodied is always sacred whatever the the life form that is moving through the tissues moving through the objects we want to consider that life essence as sacred so Taurus is a symbol all of the zodiac seasons or signs and all of the planets and anything else that astrologers reference like houses or aspects um, though we are referencing actual phenomena or relationships between phenomena or locations in the sky times within the seasons on earth um, everything that we're referencing is a symbol and I think it's, it's important to come back to this understanding of astrology regularly, that we're working with uh, a symbolic language that has been developed and changed, mutated, over thousands of years. Um, astrology exists all over the world, but in different forms. So a lot of um, different cultures have their own astrologies. And astrology, as far as I understand it, is a means of connecting with the greater whole. And so the greater whole can definitely include the stars and the constellations, the planets, as they make their orbits around the sun, becoming visible sometimes, invisible other times. Um, the seasons, as they uh, move through their cycles here on the planet, as we experience them, um, the moon and its relationship to the sun, the lunar cycles, these are all 
things that are happening around us and in and of themselves, they may have meaning. So the moon in relationship to the sun may have its own meaning. That's for the moon to decide. And for us here on earth, we are experiencing these shifts and these cycles and we are relating to them and we are telling stories about them. And so this language of astrology is a symbolic language. We use these symbols to organize our experiences. And many wise people over millennia have recorded their experiences uh, as they associate to these symbols. And those recordings have become the astrological um, canon, kind of the, the body of wisdom that we're referencing when we're talking about astrology. So in this podcast, in my practice, I work with Western astrology or tropical astrology, which is different than Chinese astrology or Mayan astrology, um, but it's certainly not better. So it's one, one way of recognizing continuity between human experience and universal uh, life phenomena. And in the language of tropical astrology, Taurus season is the middle of spring. This is a language that has um, primarily been developed in the northern hemisphere. So Taurus season marks the middle of spring. And um, every episode, I take a moment to talk about what I'm experiencing um, in the season and in the weather. And over the last couple of weeks, I have felt the temperature is heating up. Um, outside, there have been hundreds of daffodils and crocuses kind of sprouting up all over the place. Um, butterflies are out. The birds are so loud. They're singing, they're talking to each other. And uh, this is the middle of spring, right? There's abundance everywhere. The, the earth is exhibiting its, its kind of bountiful fertility. Um, I'm blessed to live by a really beautiful large lake and walking around the lake in the last week, just in the last couple of days, I've noticed all of the um, female ducks have found little patches of grass to sit in and rest in. And of course, they've got eggs underneath them. They're warming their um, little progeny <laughs> underneath them. And, you know, at least in the United States where I am, the symbols of spring are often coming with kind of Easter symbols like eggs and bunny rabbits and pastel colors. And certainly that's a lot of what I'm seeing outside. Taurus as a symbol represents the abundance and the fertility of earth, which produces the abundance and fertility of all bodies. And of course, our bodies are part of earth. Our bodies are natural. We are part of nature. And so the mass and the tissues of our bodies are also associated with Taurus. And Taurus is an idea of how we accumulate our own mass. Taurus comes after the sign Aries. And in last month's podcast, I talked a lot about Aries as a symbol for I-ness, me-ness. I exist. I am. And to exist requires a, a will and a force of of will to continue living, to assert oneself, to be. But that kind of energy can only be sustained in a body. And a body has a lot of, of needs, right? So the body needs to nourish itself. It needs kind of basic sustenance. And the body needs some kind of shelter. 
and the body needs some kind of safety in terms of relationship or tribe. You know, who do we belong to? Will our people protect us? Um, so this experience of being in a body is an experience of necessity, an experience of need. And when I'm feeling into Taurus this year, this is really what I'm feeling. I'm feeling what it means to be alive in a body on Earth as Earth goes through all of the things that it goes through as a planet and then as human consciousness goes through all the things that human consciousness is going through as a global community. So I'd like to think about mindfulness as an idea that a lot of us are engaging with um, right now and that certainly seems more important than ever um, to live with some kind of mindfulness, with some kind of awareness of our impact um, on each other, with ourselves and on the earth. And a lot of people are definitely aware of this and talking about this, but I also think that it's really useful to um, continue to talk about and define mindfulness actually as a practice or a process of embodiment. So mindfulness as a word to me associates to the mind, and certainly a practice of embodiment is working with the mind, working to call the mind into relationship, into connection with the body and to call it back from all of the, the tangents that it likes to go on. So the mind can very easily forget that it's in a body. Um, I don't know about you, but I feel like I spend most of my time forgetting that I'm in a body. And my job, what I you know, do every single day is some kind of, of somatic practice or embodiment practice. I produce embodied astrology. I work with clients on embodiment practices. I have to maintain my own embodiment practice in order to do this work. And still, most of my experience, um, I feel like I'm somewhere else. I'm in the past. I'm in the future. I'm in a relationship you know, I'm in some kind of situation that I'm obsessing on or spiraling around or, you know, whatever, focusing with. To really be in a body is not to be in the experience of my mind objectifying my body, describing my body, judging my body, valuing my body, being attracted or repulsed by my body. It is just being with my body. And that as a practice is so simple and so incredibly um, challenging, I think, to really just be with the body. That simplicity requires so much dedication, so much discernment, so much patience, so much practice. And I think that this is really where Taurus as a symbol is a symbol of embodied wisdom. So when you read about Taurus, you'll read about its speed. Taurus likes to move slow. It is a kind of plodding, consistent energy. It doesn't like to be rushed. It doesn't want to get distracted. It just kind of wants to do its thing. And Taurus as a symbol of the body, I think, describes this process of the body in its natural state as just a being state. 
And the mind, um, which I'll talk a lot about next month when we get into Gemini season, um, does something else. The mind is doing all kinds of, of other things. And a lot of us experience this split between mind and body. And that split ends up being incredibly harmful. I think harmful to ourselves and harmful in our relationships and with the world around us because it's very easy in our minds to forget about the truth of our embodiment. And the truth of our embodiment is that the body is in a constant state of change. Um, the body is often uncomfortable. There's often pain in the body. There can be illness in the body. And of course, the body is aging and the body is temporary. And to be with these realities can be really disturbing for a lot of us. Um, it can feel deeply, deeply um, sad or, or scary to feel into the nature of our own discomfort, to feel into the nature of change, and to feel into the inevitability of our own inevitability. Someday we'll cease to exist. However, building a practice of coming back again and again to the body um, is a really valuable practice. And what happens in this practice is that we learn to track habits, basically habits of the mind and what the mind does with sensation. So when I have a sensation that's pleasurable, like, ooh, I really, you know, like that, then I want more of it. My mind wants to grasp. Um, often my mind will then move into some kind of strategy around how can I maintain this pleasurable experience? How can this pleasurable experience last forever? Or on the other side of that, oh no, this pleasurable experience is going to end and then I'm having the pleasurable experience, but I'm already uh, in a state of distress worrying, knowing that it's going to end, maybe trying to avoid its inevitable ending. Or when my body is in a state of discomfort, uh, my mind can so easily identify with the discomfort, think this is going to last forever. I can get into a, a real deep groove of hating the discomfort, of criticizing the discomfort, of judging it, um, of looking for the reasons and the causes of my discomfort, maybe to cast blame somewhere else, feeling like if I can somehow um, project the reason for my discomfort somewhere else, then maybe it will make the discomfort end. So this thing that my mind does, that I think everybody's mind does with sensation, is to tell stories about the sensation. And that habit um, is rooted in preference, right? So we have some kind of sensation come in to our bodies. We like it or we don't like it. And then immediately there's a story around it. And that story has a momentum, and the momentum of the story is then what causes actions, decisions, reactions, behaviors, relationships. The momentum of those stories um, has a huge ripple effect out in the world. But learning to just be with the sensations of the body, to not identify with them so quickly, or to at least at least learn to be discerning enough to kind of watch the sensations as they come in 
and as they change and as they evolve, starts to develop discernment, right? And so then we can discern um, with wisdom. We can see the sensations that are arising in our bodies and go, oh, right, okay, here I am experiencing this unpleasant thing. This has happened before. I've felt this way. Um, I'm sure it's going to end at some point. So what do I do now while this unpleasant feeling is happening? Well, maybe I have some strategies that I know will help it. Maybe if I make this adjustment, the unpleasantness will go away. Or maybe I can just pause and breathe and know that this too shall pass. And the same thing with pleasantness when it comes in with what we're really enjoying. Um, when the mind really starts to identify with that pleasantness or with the grasping or the fear of, of change, then um, we can watch as the mind does that and we can start to, to work with our own awareness of the embodied state so that our minds don't spiral out into all of these other directions, kind of bringing us outside of our bodies, um, probably eventually leading to decisions, choices, reactions, actions, behaviors that may not actually be aligned with the kinds of choices that we want to be making. So a practice of mindfulness, I think, clarifies the split between the mind, heart, and body um, as we begin to, to develop the ability to recognize how the mind can obsess on sensation and the obsession with sensation can lead us away from the heart's true desire or away from the body's kind of actual truth. And this, this building of um, clarity is an intelligence and the intelligence is really here to bring us into the nature of reality of what actually is. And what actually is, is change, constant change. Sometimes things feel good, sometimes things feel bad. They will definitely change. Nothing is going to last forever. So let's take a moment and again, let's just check in with the body and kind of feel into your body and, and notice um, what your, your body's doing with this information that's been coming in through your ears, filtering in through your mind. What does it do for your body to hear these kinds of words? Underneath the words, can you just be with the body? It's a really intense time right now on our, on our planet. And certainly with this pandemic and all of its repercussions, all of the things that it means for individuals, for societies, for families, um, economies, futures, you know, there's a lot that's happening right now that is um, pretty overwhelming. And I think it's very easy right now to, to, to leave the body to um, want to distract in some way. And definitely over the last month of Aries season, um, I've really felt the, uh, the, the things that the astrology describes and kind of this um, intense warrior energy arising in me. Um, my mind has been very active. Um, a lot of sensations coming up that uh, have to do with the fight and flight responses. Um, a lot of triggers, a lot of stresses. <sighs> a 
just coming back to my body has been a project every single day. And over the last 48 hours or so, as uh, we've moved into tourist season, I've felt a lot of fatigue in my body. And I've noticed that the kind of fight-flight energy that I was feeling a lot over the last month um, has dissipated somewhat. We'll see. We'll see how that goes over the next couple of weeks. But I've really been feeling this kind of need to just pause and stop and move a little slower. And I wonder if you have been too. I wonder how this change in season is feeling for you. Over the course of the next 30 days in Taurus season, um, I think it's going to be important for us to keep checking in with our bodies. And of course, in embodied astrology, this is literally like always the message that I have. It's like check in with the body, check in with the body. The body is the seat for intuition. The body is the seat of all intelligence. Um, the body is our connection with the natural world as we understand it to be um, often not something that we are a part of. Through our bodies, we get to connect with the sky, with the sea, with the earth. So let's just keep feeling into these, these homes, these incredibly intelligent uh, organisms, these homes for our spirits that we are so blessed to live in. And over the course of the next month, as we work through tourist season, um, I'd love to invite you to get really curious about how your mind relates with your body. And we, at least um, everybody that I know, um, everybody that I know lives in um, a culture that has uh, been formed around and therefore trained all of us around objectification of the body, kind of seeing the body either as some kind of machine or seeing the body as an object to be valued or um, not valued based on superficialities, you know, appearances, shapes, sizes. So as you uh, really work with awareness of your body, notice how your mind relates with your body and especially notice how um, you work with value in your own body. How do you care for your body? How do you treat this body as something of value? And this is a particularly important question for people who live in bodies that um, through societal, um, you know, oppressive structuring or because of other kinds of conditions within the family or because of the, the shapes, sizes, colors of their bodies, for whatever reasons, for people who live in bodies that have um, been labeled with, with stories that are um, kind of a, a devaluing story, I definitely really, um, in whatever way I can, would love to just hold space for a practice of deeply valuing our bodies. So speaking to the body with love, um, practicing looking at the body with appreciation, noticing where language and the mind starts to come up that is totally divorced from the body, but obsessive about the body's superficialities. So it's very easy for us to label our own bodies good, bad, pretty, ugly, disgusting, awesome, whatever. But it's taking us away from the actual fact that everybody's body um, is ultimately the same. It's a flesh sack, right? This, this skin suit full of blood and tissues and bones and hearts that beat and um, organs that function and muscles that move the bones around. 
And all of those tissues are temporary. All of those tissues are in a constant state of change. And, you know, your body is not at all the same body as it was 10 minutes ago, much less 10 years ago. So when you relate to your body, try and relate from a, a state of um, treasuring your body. This is a, a momentary vehicle. And again, a sacred space. So I want to continue for a moment with just some other observations about Taurus as an energy and as a symbol. And maybe it's a good time to say, and I maybe should have said this before, that everybody has Taurus in their chart. So everyone is working with Taurus. And um, my approach to astrology, I think, might be different than a lot of astrologers in the sense that I'm not very fascinated with categorizing people by their signs. Like, you know, if you were born um, in the season of Taurus, just because you have a Taurus sun to me doesn't say that much. It says something. It says something about your basic nature and your resonance and what you need and want to emanate in the world. But everybody has Taurus in their chart. So everybody has a body. Everybody has a need to sustain their body. Everybody is going to have a relationship with value. And how we relate with this energy can be described within the chart, but it's not specific to one twelfth of the population. So 12 signs on their own is, is not adequate to explain all of our experience. And we all want to include all of these energies in our own personal understanding. So as I'm talking about Taurus, please just consider that this is not about um, anyone who identifies as a Taurus. It's about all of us um, in relationship. So first, Taurus is a symbol of mass, right? Of, of the body, and the body includes the earth. So we have anything that has accumulated mass, anything that has built a body and that has come into form. We understand that form is temporary, and uh, even if the temporariness is thousands or hundreds of thousands of years, like a mountain, um, there's still a, a coming into being a full manifestation, and then a process of transformation. And in this way, Taurus is represented through the fertile, uh, changing qualities of the earth itself. And so if we want to think about the earth as its own body, let's think about the molten core of the earth, kind of this uh, hot, fluid, fiery earth that's always changing. It's kind of moving around, rippling on the inside. And that warmth, fluid earth is pushing into the outer surface. Um, so there's the warmth of the earth itself that is part of what creates the life on this planet. And then there's the fertility of the soil. So the soil is a... Um, collection of what has has lived and died before and this speaks to the relationship between Taurus and its opposite sign Scorpio um, where Taurus is a symbol of life in its full manifestation and expression Scorpio is a symbol of death and the process of decomposition of bodies life eats life right death creates life life creates death they're part of a cycle so the richness of the soil um, might be seen as the kind of byproduct or the 
accumulated residue of death, which then becomes the fertility of life. And if we think about the kind of molten core at the center of the earth, we might think of this potentiality in the earth to absorb everything that has died, everything that is broken down, including at some point all of the structures of human civilization as they've, they've grown and become. Um, they are also temporary. And at some point, the earth will transform and absorb everything that's on its surface. The earth is such an amazingly creative, um, in, ingenious kind of body, constantly changing, constantly transforming. So with this association of the fertile, creative, changing earth and the fertile, creative, changing body, um, we also have specific associations through Taurus to certain kinds of people, um, blacksmiths, craftspeople, gardeners, jewelers, people who work with raw substances and rough materials and turn them into treasures. So if you've uh, heard about Taurus or maybe if you know Taurus people, a lot of Taurus people really love to work with their hands in some way. They might love to cook. They might love to garden. They might love to do something that is transformation of substance, creating of beauty. Um, Taurus as a zodiac sign is associated with the planetary energy of Venus. Venus is considered to be its ruler. And Venus in relationship to Taurus is the expression of beauty. And the, the transformation of Earth's materials into riches. So this idea of, you know, all wealth comes from the Earth. The Earth itself is such an abundant, um, fertile, rich space. And we work with this wealth. So then all wealth is created through labor. The labor of the body, the uh, consistent, repetitive work of the body to refine materials um, creates wealth. And so Taurus is associated, again, to wealth, to values. The materials of our lives, right? How do we get the objects that we want? How do we grow the food that we need to eat? What sustains us? What do we want? What do we need? How we work with materials, how we form them, bring them into being, and turn them into value, uh, or what we define as value, is a process of Taurus. It's a process of manifesting Taurus. Now, if we want to turn something uh, that's, that's a raw substance into some kind of fine piece of, of art or treasure, um, a, a process is required and a craftsmanship is required. And so Taurus as an energy is an, a kind of insistent, stubborn energy. It is so consistent and it deals with repetition, doing something over and over and over and over again. And not necessarily because um, we think that we should or that some kind of authority is saying that we should, but because that's natural. That's a natural inclination for Taurus. And so if we think about kind of the human instinct um, that underlies human evolution to seek out comfort, to make things easier for ourselves, um, this is the instinct that has created our ingenuity, right? The ways that we work with materials to form them into useful objects. This is Taurus 
in action. So Taurus rules functionality, the functional aesthetic of an object. You ask any strongly identified Taurus person, you know, to appreciate a really beautiful functional object, and they'll tell you a whole lot about what is so amazing about it. So functionality, aesthetic, repetition, uh, value, these are all ideas of what Taurus brings into our life. Now, finally, I want to talk about the specific part of the body that Taurus is associated with. And um, this is the, the mouth, the throat, and the neck. And the lower jaw, particularly, the part of the jaw that does the chewing, is associated with Taurus. So if we think about the mouth, the throat, and the neck, this is where uh, we, we basically have a gateway um, between the external and the internal. So we take a bite of food, and we chew it for a while, and then we swallow it. And in the swallowing, something important happens, which is that what was previously outside of our bodies, what was previously a separate kind of um, entity, now becomes internal to the body. And after swallowing, our body, um, you know, if it chooses to receive it, to not reject it, then the body will assimilate whatever it was that we swallowed. And the molecules of of what we're assimilating will then um, integrate throughout our body. We will absorb the, the nutrients. So this really normal kind of mundane action of chewing and swallowing, um, let's think about it in a metaphor, as a metaphor, for the ability or the access to receive something that we need um, the ability to take it in, and the conditions to digest it. You may know from your own personal experience um, what it's like to feel entitled to receive something or not. So if you have a, a experience in your own life of feeling like, oh yeah, you know, of course I can have this. Um, everybody around you has it, I have it too. You, you have a lunch, you brought it to work, and everybody else has a lunch, and everybody's sitting down to eat it. This is normal, right? You're not thinking about it. You're just eating your lunch, you're swallowing it, people are talking, um, you have half an hour, however long your lunch break is, and that's the time during which you can sit and rest and digest. Or you may have had an experience where you have the thing, you have the food, but for whatever reason, you can't eat it. Um, maybe you can't eat it because you just had a dental procedure. You literally can't chew it. Maybe you can't eat it because you're working with an eating disorder. And the, the direction that your mind is going and the story that your mind is telling you is that you shouldn't eat that food um, for whatever reason, that, that you can't have it. Or maybe you have had an experience where you have the food and you can eat it, but then you don't have time to digest and so you, you don't really feel like you get to absorb it. You're in a state of rushing. How many of us have, you know, eaten lunch on the go and then it feels like um, there's tension in the diaphragm and we're not really full after we ate or the way that the food lands in our belly feels like really icky and, and um, you know, not complete or something like that. 
So if we want to think about this, this place in the body as an energetic metaphor, um, let's think about the ways that we can access what we need and what we need can be our basic needs, basic needs for sustenance, as well as what we think we need. And so based on whatever your cultural or familial conditions are, um, your own stories, your own personality, we might all think that we need certain things. And so there will be a feeling of hunger, there will be a feeling of entitlement, and sometimes both or sometimes neither, right, in relationship to resources, objects. How we access, how we um, take in, how we receive something, um, and how we own it, how whatever it is that we're um, accessing, that we're receiving, becomes ours. This is the energy of Taurus, right? It's, it's possession, possessiveness, and hunger, but also need. Where we... Uh, kind of discern what is what is need, what is actual need and what is simply hunger is part of working with Taurus. And so because Taurus rules beauty and the body and the desire for comfort, um, humans, of course, have a lot of stories about what we need. You know, like I, I definitely need this um, king size feather top mattress in order to sleep well at night. I definitely need it, right? Is that a basic need? No. You know, is that an actual need? I don't know. But it's up to each one of us to discern that. And so how we locate our needs, how we receive them into our bodies, how we access them, and then how we absorb them has a lot to do with Taurus, with this energy of Taurus. Now, all of those ideas are definitely wrapped up in um, our self-worth, our self-esteem. And so Taurus and its correspondences through um, the planet Venus or the second house, if you're working with planets and houses, um, has a lot to do with the idea of self-worth, of self-esteem. Am I worthy enough to accumulate um, wealth? Am I worthy enough to eat this food? You know, what, what kind of good do I need to be in order to attract uh, what I want and need into my life? And for a lot of us, self-worth um, and values get really tied up with one another. So this is there's no hard and fast rule, right? Like people um, experience this in a lot of different ways, but a low self-esteem or lack of self-worth for one person might result in an experience of, um, of lack of resources, right, and, and um, scarcity. So a feeling like I'm not good enough, I can't get the things that I want, no one will give me the things that I want, I don't believe in myself enough to go for the things that I want. And for another person, it will result in opulence, um, in a kind of hedonism. So a, a feeling of insecurity or a lack of self-worth might lead someone to overcompensate through accumulating wealth, through accumulating stuff. So how we work with, with self-worth is kind of 
individual and diverse and a lot of other elements in the charter and individuals astrology will talk to that but this idea of values and the relationship that values have to self-worth is um, a Taurus kind of theme and how we receive again what we think that we want if we can and this is a metaphor if we can swallow right if we can take in or own um, what it is that we want has a lot to do with our value structures, our value systems, and our self-worth. Now, this place in the body, uh, the mouth, throat, neck, is also the gateway for the voice to pass through. And in esoteric anatomy, Taurus is associated to uh, the, the fifth chakra or the vocal center. And a, a lot of people, or you might read this in holy texts, right? It's like um, voice is the beginning and and then there was the word right and then manifestation came forth so when we speak something then it becomes real um, we have to be able to articulate or to utter what we want in order to get it we have to be able to say uh, to ourselves you know i want that in order to go for it and we have to be able to ask for something if it's in someone else's ownership. Um, if you want a raise, you know, if you want your boss to give you a raise at work, you've got to believe that you're worth that raise. And then you have to have um, the ability to, to open your mouth and ask for it. And being able to articulate, to vocalize uh, what it is that we want and need, of course, is extremely fraught for a lot of people. And the tension that we might feel in articulating our wants and needs um, has a lot to do with self-esteem and also a lot to do with our value system. Um, what I should want is maybe not, or what I think I should want, according to what my parents told me or the religion that I was raised in, might not at all correspond with the truth of what my body wants. And then I'll get into uh, a total mess when I'm trying to ask for what I want or ask for what I need. So as we think about Taurus um, this month and over the next 30 days, um, again, I'd love to invite you to come into relationship um, with your body as a sacred space. And I'd also love to invite you to come into relationship with consumption and vocalization as activities and concepts. So what do you consume? Um, this doesn't just mean food, and it totally means food. What do you think you need? What are the objects or the resources that you're hungry for? What are you trying to get? What are you attracting into your life? Um, what are your value systems? You know, do you think that it's necessary to have a, a second car? Is that going to make you valuable in the eyes of you know that date that you want to get, or? It, are your value systems somewhere else? You know, where where do you think that your worth um, materially manifests and how do you access it? All right, so this is the end of part one. And before I take just a little pause, let's pause for a second. And once again, just kind of check in with the body. And I'd love to invite you to bring your attention now to your mouth, to your lips, to the area around your lips, to the inside of your mouth, uh, your gums, your teeth, your tongue, the lower jaw. Uh, notice 
If there's tension in the tongue and the lower jaw, um, this is an area of the body that is really tight uh, for a lot of people and especially in times of stress and especially stress related to scarcity, um, there can be a ton of residual tension in this part of the body. And so if you notice that it's there, um, maybe explore what it's like to uh, relax the hinge of the jaw as much as you can or to let the root of the tongue uh, widen and relax. You might feel into the spaces where you um, feel the tongue connecting to the uh, kind of corners of the lower palate. And in the, the places where you feel the tongue connecting, try and relax those muscles. Relax the, the lower palate, the space behind the lower teeth and below the tongue. And just notice how that feels and notice what happens through the throat and down into the belly and into the guts. So as you relax your tongue, notice if there's any kind of uh, corresponding process of relaxation through the digestive chain. And then for a moment, just call in a memory or a current uh, area of awareness that has to do with desiring something. Um, for now, not a person, but specifically an object. It could be food, it could be clothing, it could be something else. When you've seen something, you don't own it yet and you want it. You want to have it. Just notice if you can track any sensation that arises with that awareness. And notice if that awareness creates any kind of stress in the hinge of the jaw or the root of the tongue. I'll be working a lot with um, this embodied awareness and offering some really deep and really powerful practices um, to to, to bring integration and, and release into the jaw and the tongue um, at the Taurus new moon uh, lunar attunement ritual. And that is April 22nd, starting at 7 p.m. Central Time. Um, if you'd like to join for the live event, and otherwise the recording will be available for the two weeks after. I'm really excited for that ritual to work um, so much with a somatic process. And two weeks after that, for the full moon ritual on May 7th, um, I'll be working a lot with the embodied sensation of desire, hunger, and wanting, um, and uh, agency and power to, to get what we want, to want what we have. Um, so I hope that you can join me for those events. Um, again, if you can't make the live events, the recordings are available for two weeks after. And 100% of the proceeds are being given to communities hardest hit by COVID-19. Um, this month, both events proceeds will be given to Seeding Sovereignty's Indigenous Impact Initiative, um, which is raising money for Indigenous people in the southwest area of the United States and New Mexico, um, particularly Navajo Nation or the Diné people and the Hopi people, um, who have been really disproportionately affected by COVID-19, um, of course, due to ongoing systemic uh, oppression and um, a pretty fucked up history. <laughs> 
around um, their land and um, ability to to maintain, you know, traditional ways of being, et cetera, within the the history of the United States and um, uh, settler colonialism. That's another story for another time, but there is more information on my website, so please check it out. I'm going to take a brief pause and then I will be back in just a moment to talk about the astrology for the next 30 days in Taurus season. Hey everyone, thanks so much for listening to Embodied Astrology. I hope you're enjoying the episode so far. I wanted to let you know about some opportunities to get more astrology in your life. I'd love to invite you to work with me every two weeks to attune to the moon. This year I'm offering new moon and full moon online lunar attunement rituals that include exploration and conversation around the charts for the moons and their interpretations, guided meditation and visualization journeys, embodiment and somatic support, and creative practices that are all astrologically inspired. Join me for the Taurus New Moon Ritual on April 22nd at 7 p.m. Central Time for a deep exploration of Taurus's life-affirming energy and a powerful practice for releasing tension in the mouth, jaw, and throat. And on May 7th at 11 a.m. Central Time, I'll be offering a full moon ritual where we'll work with the Taurus-Scorpio axis of life and death, pleasure and pain, desire and power. Find more information at embodiedastrology.com in the live events section. Also, did you know about my special guest episodes? The most recent guest episode is a deep dive into generational astrology and the chart for the COVID-19 outbreak with my friend and colleague Ramon Gabrieloff Parrish. Ramon is an amazing astrologer and philosopher who has done a lot of research into generational astrology and has written on the astrological signatures of our current decade. Our conversation is timely and relevant, and if you're interested in how astrology can help shed light on current events, I think you'll really enjoy it. Find my conversation with Ramon, as well as other amazing guest episodes, including conversations with healers, teachers, and artists at embodiedastrology.com in the listen section. All right, so in part one, I talked about um, a number of the associations for Taurus, needs, hungers, resources, property, earth, land, wealth, the idea of ownership, being able to have, being able to access uh, what we want and what we need. And over the course of Taurus season, as the Earth moves through the part of its yearly orbit around the sun that uh, describes this this season, middle of spring in the Northern Hemisphere, um, this is what rises to the surface for attention, for awareness. Um, Check it out for yourself. Notice if the themes of Taurus are arising um, more consciously for you and maybe practice bringing awareness to those themes um, with the idea that there's some kind of celestial support for working with these themes. Um, We want to bring awareness and consciousness into our relationship, to our needs, to our hungers, um, because we want to be in right relationship. Obviously, we want to uh, be able to access what we need and what we want, and um, we don't want to be greedy. We don't want to hoard. Um, it's, it's gross uh, what happens with, with greed and with hoarding, and it certainly doesn't lead to happiness um, for oneself or for others. So being in right relationship with hunger and resources might be an intention for the next 30 days. Um, as the sun moves through Taurus, just a couple of days after it moves into the sign, uh, it will conjunct the planet Uranus. And so that means that from our vantage point here on Earth, the sun comes into alignment with Uranus. 
So Uranus and Taurus is about an eight-year transit, 2018 through 2026. And this is a planet that's sometimes called the Great Awakener. Uh, Uranus as an energy is a symbol for destabilization or rupture in the status quo, um, where there has been a kind of formal expectation. Uranus wants to break free and do its own thing. Um, it wants liberation. It wants freedom. But its pursuit of liberation and freedom can be uh, revolutionary. It can also be incredibly chaotic. Uh, words that can describe Uranus and Taurus are sudden and change and upheaval, as well as invention and innovation and eccentricity. So when Uranus moves through Taurus, the sign of earth and wealth and property, as well as food, um, we get upsets and innovations and upheavals and chaos in these areas. Um, the last time that Uranus was in Taurus was 1934 to 1942. And of course, this is a period of time that corresponds with the Great uh, Depression um, and following recession and then World War II. Um, and this was a time when there was a ton of, of innovation within uh, industrialized agriculture, um, as well as economies and a kind of um, solidifying of capitalism as a, a kind of like leading power in the world and globalization. Um, and Uranus is back to, to Taurus. Um, it orbits around the sun every uh, 80 to 90 years or so. So it's, it's back um, in the sign of wealth, resources, land, and property. And this is what is being upheaved. This is where we're experiencing um, increasing amounts of chaos and change. And uh, of course, we can see this in terms of what's happening with climate and the repercussions of climate change or climate chaos. And of course, um, COVID-19 and something like a pandemic is not separate from that. Um, it's not separate from humanity's impact on nature, right? This is a, a virus that was um, contacted through uh, bats, through human intervention in the natural world. Um, the, the way that humans are creating chaos on the planet is going to be um, described through this symbol and then how that chaos is going to impact us and impact our bodies and our experiences is described in this symbol. So one of the ways that I think about Uranus and how it, it works is trauma. And trauma, I think, is um, it, it it definitely can be understood as something that is unpleasant and negative or catastrophic or um, traumatic, but it's also a point of awakening. So um, th through trauma, we can, we can definitely awaken. We can awaken to our own healing capacities. We can also awaken to injustices and understand um, the devastating impact of certain kinds of behaviors or choices. And so trauma can be an agent for awakening as well as an agent for perpetuation of trauma. Um, I want to reference uh, a video that I watched a couple of days ago, um, thanks to Yocasta Teneo in um, New York for sending me this. Um, she's an awesome body worker who I feel really lucky to know. And um, she sent me 
a video um, made by the folks at Resilient Strategies, um, which is a people of color-led organization um, working with resilient strategies and particularly embodiment strategies and, um, as as they said, uh, politicized healing and politicized embodiment um, and awareness that embodiment as a practice is inherently political. To wake up in our bodies is to take a political stance, which has always been um, my understanding of it as well. So one of the speakers um, in this video, it was a video of a Zoom conference called Healing, Resilience, and Power. Um, one of the speakers said, uh, well, they all said amazing things, and um, I'll link that video in the show notes. So if you want to watch it, it was a pretty amazing um, conversation between their organizers talking about embodied strategies for um, kind of facing not just this this pandemic, but really the um, kind of widespread fallout of the pandemic, particularly on marginalized communities. Um, so I'll share that link in the show notes. And the speakers were excellent. They were all um, just so informed and generous with their knowledge. And um, one of them said two things that I just really appreciated them vocalizing. So the first thing that they said is trauma is inherent to life, which I felt like, um, you know, was an important thing to recognize is that uh, we all go through trauma all of the time. Um, growing up can be a really traumatic experience. And as we as we work with trauma, we also, again, work with our own capacity for awakening and for awareness. And trauma um, is basically, you know, it's a, it's a response that doesn't get to sequence. So it's a response to some kind of threat that doesn't get to sequence out. Or it's an overwhelming of the body or the individual's capacity to respond to an event that's happening. And so when we experience some kind of overwhelm or our own inability to control what's happening around us or to affect an outcome, that can be traumatic. And that's happening all of the time uh, in our lives. There are traumatic events, uh, you know, in the natural world. Um, we, we lose people. We um, have situations that are really terrifying that are totally out of our control. And I think that there's a, a lot of wisdom that can come from trauma, as I've said now a few times, in terms of our own awakening and our ability to cultivate our own um, capacities for healing. Um, but the other thing that this person said is that oppression is how society organizes itself to control the distribution of trauma. And I really appreciated that. I had never heard um, it articulated like that. So I'll say it again. Oppression is how society organizes itself to control the distribution of trauma. And certainly at this moment, um, when I think a lot of people are recognizing how society has been organized in such a way that the, the biggest impact of this pandemic is falling first and it's falling hardest on individuals and communities and locations that have been um, organized through societal structuring to be um, basically receptacles of trauma, and that includes uh, generational trauma, um, people who are descendants of slaves, descendants of um, uh, 
histories and lineages of land theft. Um, that includes environmental injustices. Um, the places that are hardest hit are generally um, places where uh, low-income communities are built, um, where there are higher levels of pollution, where there are, um, you know, factories, where there's toxic dumping, etc. So we're seeing now that in the United States, um, I think almost a third of the COVID-19 fatalities are African-American, even though African-Americans only make up about 14% of um, the U.S. population. Um, same thing in, in Navajo Nation or the, the Diné Nation. Um, I read a statistic that said that in Utah, 70% um, of the COVID fatalities were uh, indigenous, even though they are only 6% of the population. So these kinds of um, societal structurings that have ensured that there is a higher distribution of trauma upon communities who are already traumatized, already marginalized, already um, uh, more likely to experience poverty, environmental um, injustices and oppression, incarceration, etc., are also the same communities who will be the hardest hit by pandemics, um, by other kinds of natural disasters if and when they arise. So over the course of tourist season, I think that this will become a, a more and more glaring reality for more and more people. Um, for some people, this has always been obvious. It's always been a reality. But for um, a, a lot of, of people, and um, particularly within kind of popular media or news, um, this has been pretty much ignored or, um, uh, you know, people are totally unaware, maybe in, in blissful ignorance. Now, one of the things that makes me think that this is going to become uh, more and more a topic of conversation, and of course it's already in the news, but is it uh, creating any changes yet? Um, I think it will. As the sun moves into its conjunction with Uranus, uh, what's getting highlighted is a growing square between Saturn in Aquarius and Uranus in Taurus. In last month's episode, I talked about Saturn's entry into Aquarius and uh, talked a little bit about Saturn in Aquarius this year in 2020 as being a preview of the upcoming cycle um, of Saturn and Jupiter in Aquarius uh, that really begins in 2021. So um, if you want more information, listen back to that episode. But as a quick recap, I'll say that Saturn has entered into Aquarius in the last couple of weeks. Um, it is about to turn retrograde. I'll be talking about retrogrades in just a minute. And Saturn will be re-entering um, Capricorn in a couple of months. And throughout the summer, Saturn will be revisiting Lake Capricorn. And then in December of this year, um, Saturn will re-enter Aquarius with Jupiter, they'll both be entering Aquarius at the same time, and they will form a conjunction at the first degree of Aquarius. And this conjunction is um, pretty special when it comes to astrological cycles. This is a conjunction that only happens once every 20 years, Saturn and Jupiter coming together. But the fact that they're coming into um, conjunction in Aquarius, which is an air sign, is uh, exceptional since for the last 200 years they've been coming together in earth signs in the earth triplicity. And um, the name of this moment when 
Jupiter and Saturn's conjunctions uh, change elements, and because of their synodic cycles, they meet in uh, signs of the same element for 200 years. Um, so we are in a moment when th the uh, their meetings are moving into a new element. This is called the Great Mutation, um, which is a, a kind of fascinating idea. And if you're into astrology, which I assume you are since you're listening and you've made it this far, then I definitely recommend that you get on the internet and do some research on the Great Mutation. And you'll learn about the significance of Jupiter and Saturn as symbols of um, societal development and industrial development and popular opinion. And you'll learn how when these two planets come together, they're emblematic of changing social sentiment and evolving um, kind of societal preferences. And so a moment when these two planets are changing into an air, uh, the air triplicity is a moment when we can recognize that our uh, evolution here on Earth is shifting quite profoundly. Um, so we are moving collectively from um, a, a kind of Earth-oriented mindset and when I say earth-oriented, I don't necessarily mean oriented to the earth as a sacred living being. I mean earth in the sense that in the astrological language, um, earth relates to property, dominance, ownership, wealth. Um, a lot of the themes I was talking about in Taurus. So the air element um, is more associated to the intellect, to creativity, to sharing and distributing knowledge. Um, it's also related to science and technology and uh, corporations when we're thinking about um, Aquarius in specific. I do want to say that neither Earth or air are good or bad. All of the symbols in astrology are talking about energy, and energy manifests across the spectrum of pleasant, unpleasant, destructive, productive, etc. However, over the course of the next uh, couple of years, um, specifically the next year in 2021, Saturn and Jupiter, as they enter into Aquarius, will form a square with Uranus and Taurus. And this square is, um, as I read it, very much a, a symbol of how society will be forced to restructure due to the intensifying chaotic circumstances on Earth, especially the circumstances that have to do with the Taurus-ruled themes property, land, agriculture, and economies being right up at the top of the list. So the way that society has been organized um, so that trauma is distributed unequally upon um, specific and marginalized communities um, is something that more and more people are becoming aware of. And I think more and more people are becoming aware is problematic. And this may be like infuriatingly obvious. I think to me it is like, how could this just be something that someone is becoming aware of? Um, but it's also something that um, I, I can understand also being a, a recipient of white privilege and growing up, um, at least in some ways, 
ignorant, you know, not, not being informed, not really having any kind of awareness of histories that weren't white European, not really having much awareness of, of what's happening, you know, for people who are not living in white skin. Um, and I did have maybe more awareness than some simply due to, to my parents and the things that they were interested in being people who are interested in radical politics. So, I was somewhat informed, but also my lived experience, my embodied experience, um, didn't really expose me to the, um, you know, the the actual consequences of these inequities. And it wasn't until I was old enough to really kind of like um, start paying attention in a critical way that I really started to to learn and to recognize um, what was happening. And I'm a person who's been interested uh, in in these kinds of relational dynamics and power imbalances my whole life, pretty much. Um, and again, that has to do with how I was raised, I think, in, in a lot of ways. Um, but a lot of people aren't raised in these ways. And grow up their whole lives and into their adulthoods, you know, kind of just um, skipping along, like not not recognizing what's happening. And it will take a disaster. It will take something catastrophic and traumatic to awaken them, to awaken us. I include myself in that category. So again, I want to say that, you know, again, trauma has the potential of awakening. It doesn't make it less traumatic. It doesn't make it less horrific. Um, but there is, I think, growth that's happening right now that's certainly described within the astrology of a changing public sentiment, um, changing values, changing preferences and priorities. That at this time when there is a mass pandemic and more and more awareness of how many people are really suffering in, in incredible ways. And at the same time that we're learning that um, Jeff Bezos has made $23 billion since the beginning of the pandemic because more people are using Amazon, or that 80% of the government bailout is going to people who are already millionaires, or you know people are watching celebrities and millionaires on social media um, experiencing quarantine, you know, with their swimming pools and all of their stockpiled food and like you know playing games on their huge lawns. And meanwhile, um, there are growing populations of people who don't have homes, who are being evicted, who can't pay their rent. You know, there's more and more fury that's growing, and public sentiment is changing. And I think that over the next year and two years, this is going to be a, a pretty big wave in terms of societal change. And certainly over the course of the next 30 days in Taurus season, as the sun moves through Taurus, as it conjuncts Uranus, as it forms its square to Saturn, um, and then as it moves into trine with Jupiter and Pluto and Capricorn, we're going to see uh, outbursts. We're going to see more and more people kind of getting worked up and we're going to start to feel this shift in public sentiment. And um, we definitely want to shift this, right? Like, fuck billionaires. Nobody needs to have that much money. It's obscene. It's disgusting. It's repulsive. Um, the, the public sentiment, I, I believe, is changing. And we can change from this kind of earth 
dominant reality. Again, I'm not talking about the sacredness or the actuality of Earth. I'm talking about Earth element within the astrological lexicon as related to desire for materials, ownership, and um, power. We're seeing that shift into a sentiment that um, values intelligence or creativity um, or capacities to collaborate more uh, than riches, you know, more than uh, property ownership. And I think a lot of people hearing this are going to be rolling their eyes and like, whatever, that's not changing, you know, more and more millionaires are um, coming into existence, it's like people are just as materialistic as ever. Um, and on the one hand, yeah, I see that. But I I think it's changing. That's that's my intuition. It's my hunch. And definitely the astrology is um, pointing to a necessity for change. Now, as I talked about in last month's edition, um, it's totally possible that this change leads us into a complete dystopia, you know, corporate ruled hegemonic kind of um, business governments. And certainly we may be going that way. And um, a, a couple of people have sent me a video recently about um, a scientist kind of talking about COVID-19 and, and, you know, how the deep state is like using this pandemic um, as a means to, to restructure uh, wealth distribution. I'm not sure if I totally buy that that video and what the scientist was saying. I'm not sure if you know what I'm talking about, but um, I do think that it's a time for restructuring of wealth and rebalancing of wealth. And um, over the course of the next 30 days, this is going to be bigger and bigger news. Um, that's my prediction for Taurus season, especially as the sun comes into alignment with uh, Jupiter and Pluto towards the end of Taurus season, um, kind of right around uh, the last week of Taurus season, May 15th to 20th, um, the sun will form its trines with Jupiter and Pluto. And this is um, bringing to highlight the uh, recent Jupiter-Pluto conjunction. Um, that conjunction was perfecting on uh, between March 29th and April 6th. Um, that's a conjunction that will occur three times this year. So there are two more times that Jupiter and Pluto will come into alignment. The next two occasions, June 29th through July 9th and November 8th through the 14th. Um, and this conjunction is, is highlighting the periods when um, I, I think the death, the causes and the effects of death and the dying process are kind of um, the most glaring. So between March 29th and April 6th in the United States, that's when um, I think we were getting like the the news of like mass amounts of death and, um, you know, overwhelmed hospitals in New York, the lack of ventilators, etc. And as I kind of look over the astrology and compare what's coming up astrologically with what I'm hearing and reading in the news, um, and, and as I kind of learn from articles uh, by epidemiologists talking about the, um, the, the probability of second or third waves of infection, that even if there's a kind of flattening of the curve or it seems that um, 
you know, the, the virus is receding or something like that, that there will probably be a second wave. Um, that matches uh, for me with what I'm seeing astrologically, um, especially with this conjunction of Jupiter and Pluto. Um, the second conjunction, June 29th through July 9th, both planets will be retrograde. Um, my feeling is, is that during the summer, we will see a kind of receding and it, there may be a feeling of like, okay, moving back to quote unquote normal, uh, people trying to restructure. But as both planets turn direct and then they meet for their um, their second conjunction in November, they're meeting at 22 degrees of Capricorn. And this is the degree point where Saturn and Pluto came together in January. And you might want to listen back to the Capricorn season podcast, Breakdown to Breakthrough, where I talked about that conjunction um, as basically a symbol of a kind of societal transformational process and um, a, a death and rebirth process, specifically for the United States, but also for um, the industrialized West and for the capitalist industrial system as a whole. So this death process is um, part of uh, a life process. And if we go back to this idea of Taurus and its symbolism um, with the fertile earth, the fertile soil, and remember that what dies and breaks down also composts and becomes the fertile soil for new life to grow and root in, um, then we definitely want to think of this period of time as one that is full of potential, even though the potential um, may include, will include um, death, devastation, and trauma. We also want to keep our, our eye on what the potential is. And um, keeping our eye on the potential doesn't mean we're going to um, necessarily survive and thrive, but it does mean that we can push in that direction. And we definitely, um, for me at least, I think I, I have to push in that direction if I want to feel like I'm living a meaningful life. So this is the moment that we're in, this moment that astrologers have coined the Great Mutation, which is a shifting of sentiment and a shifting of priority as we move from um, a kind of um, maybe not necessarily global, but at least a dominant ideology and preference um, that material wealth equals value. So bodies are defined by their um, dollar amount. You know, how much money you have in your bank account directly equals how valuable you are as a human being. This is a totally destructive idea. More and more people are recognizing this, and I think particularly younger generations are recognizing this as they're facing futures of huge amounts of instability and looking at the mess that previous generations have made, and particularly the, the mess and the inequities of capitalism. I think a lot of younger people are, quite frankly, totally grossed out and and ready for something else. And so we'll see over the course of the next years the way that this transformation takes place. Um, but definitely this month, in the next 30 days, um, I think we're going to start to see a lot of the beginning stages of this transformation. We're already in the beginning stages, but we'll start to see uh, more and more how these events are going to play out and what we can expect. 
So expectation is maybe not the right word to use since there are so many planets turning retrograde in Taurus season. Um, we have four planets stationing retrograde in the next 30 days. And uh, all of this retrograde energy certainly doesn't allow us to have a very solid expectation of what's going to happen. Retrograde energy is really wobbly. We don't know um, what the outcome is. We're really uh, in a process of reflection and remaining with things. We have to go backward. We have to go inward. So again, we have four planets turning retrograde. Um, Pluto, Saturn, uh, Jupiter, and Venus will all be turning retrograde. Now, Pluto, Saturn, and Jupiter are all retrograde in Capricorn. Saturn will be stationing in Aquarius, um, but will be moving back into Capricorn um, by July. So... All of these planets working through Capricorn are also working in the Earth realm. Capricorn, like Taurus, is an Earth sign. And while Taurus rules the materiality of, of a body, Capricorn rules its structure, its containment, and its defenses. And so with Capricorn, we want to think of governmental and military uh, structures, so kind of the inner structures of how a system or a society might function, and also the function of the defenses, um, the defenses that act to articulate and enact quote-unquote sovereignty or individuality force. Um, in Capricorn, we want to think about forces of power and authority. Um, and Pluto is uh, a planet that is a symbol of the death process. So Pluto is um, associated to the, the dying, the breaking down, and the composting, um, this process that then becomes regenerative. So the rebirthing um, is the other side of a Pluto transit. Pluto is actually moving back to its natal placement um, for the United States. If we want to think about the United States as an idea that was born um, with the signing of the Declaration of Independence, that signing occurred when Pluto was at 27 degrees of Capricorn. And starting next spring in February of 2021, Pluto will uh, reach that point again. And so the United States will be re uh, experiencing its Pluto return. Um, if you're familiar with a Saturn return, Saturn return is an uh, important period in the cognitive, psychological, and physical growth process of a human being. Um, it's really when a person becomes an adult, around uh, 30 years old, which is significantly um, later than a lot of societies consider a person an adult. But at 25 years old, a person's frontal lobe um, is fully developed. They can make long-term choices and plans, and they ideally have some sense of, of inner authority, and they know who they are well enough to know what they want to be doing with their lives and um, make some choices for their adulthood. And so Saturn is a planet that speaks to the maturation or the aging process when it comes up for its return, talks about life cycles and maturation process. Um, Pluto has a, a much longer orbit around the sun than Saturn. Saturn takes about 30 years to move around the sun. Pluto takes like 260. So none of us are going to experience a Pluto return in our lifetime, but um, longer living entities like uh, the United States um, will experience its Pluto return. So the idea of the United States um, began, you know, back in the 1700s as a, a formal idea. 
and it has developed a body, it's developed an identity, and now Pluto is going to be returning to its birthplace. And in the Pluto return, we have an idea that um, the the shadow element of the power of the United States is going to be exposed. And so the shadow element might be, um, you know, what is kept in the shadow. So we have a declaration of independence where it says all men are created equal and everybody, you know, has the opportunity to pursue life, liberty, and happiness. But then the actual, um, you know, facts on the ground are that um, all men and certainly not all women are created equal. And this is a stain, it's a shadow upon the consciousness of the United States and the consciousness of the people who are here. And that stain is going to result in um, resentment, in violence, in guilt, uh, dissatisfaction, uh, torment, turmoil, conflict. And it will also result in um, a, a fatal flaw in the machine. And that's what we're seeing now. We're seeing a machine breaking down. The machine of this government is breaking down. And the current administration, it's doing um, a really good job with, with breaking the machine. Um, certainly a lot of what the Trump administration has done in terms of gutting um, a lot of the individual and environmental protections, as well as a lot of the different agencies, um, is, you know, it's taking apart the machine. Now, it will be put back together at some point. I don't think the United States will cease to exist. Um, the U.S. birth chart, the the Declaration of Independence is a very strong chart, actually. Um, I think that, that the United States will go on in some form or another. But how it continues, um, we really don't know. So the, the United States really has had a, a kind of shadow force, even as an entity for a long time, which promotes itself as this kind of like... Um, you know, role model and uh, big brother, something like that. Um, the U.S. has been involved with a, a lot of manipulation uh, around the world, this kind of enforced, um, uh, like, quote unquote, spreading of democracy, which is an enforced spreading of capital interests um, and military interests. And we'll see where that goes. The U.S. is certainly positioning itself at the moment to, um, to, to, to self-implode. Who knows what's going to happen? I don't know what's going to happen. But I think we definitely will see um, over the course of the next couple years um, how these, these fissures are going to break in terms of the populace and popular sentiment. And we'll also see uh, where the resilience is and if the resilience is strong enough to um, create a regeneration or a rebirth. Will we have a rebirth that is uh, aligned in the integrity of um, this actual message that the U.S. birthed itself with, this idea of life, liberty, and freedom for all, a, a democratic idea? Or will we see this nation rebirthed as the corporate entity um, that it also was when it was formed um, in terms of the settler colonial mentality of private property and land ownership, um, body ownership, etc.? It's been a faulty uh, structure from the beginning. So we'll see how this rebirth happens. But 
Uh, my point is, is that over the course of Taurus season, the sun is going to come into trine with Jupiter and Pluto, highlighting the effects of the Jupiter-Pluto conjunction. This um, kind of mass spreading of a death force and awareness of death, which then leads into a transformative process, that transformative process that we don't know where it will go. Um, in order to transform, something does need to, to fully break down and die. And then during the season of, of Taurus season, we'll see um, all these planets station retrograde. And in the retrogrades, there's going to be a lot that's up in the air. So in terms of what's happening, um, you know, definitely in the United States, which is where I live and where most of my information uh, comes from, as much as I try and pay attention outside, um, you know, there's a lot going on in the world. So um, we'll see you know, what, what happens in terms of government bailout, um, economic stimulus, things like that. My sense is that through um, the autumn, that things are really chaotic. There may be a period of time, as I mentioned in the summer, where there's this apparent return to quote unquote normal. Um, but th that's not going to last as we get back into the autumn, uh, September, October, November, we're going to see the kind of first um, clues as to what this new landscape is going to look like. So watch what's happening over the next 30 days in terms of reversals. Um, this is a big theme for retrogrades. Reversals, redefinition, uh, revision, um, restrictions, any of the RE prefix. These are good words to apply to a retrograde. Um, during the retrograde on a personal level, we want to think about how we've internalized the destructive elements of Capricorn. So Capricorn as a sign that relates to authority structures and ambition and a kind of, um, kind of like ambition, progress over uh, emotional literacy or over connection, um, definitely something to pay attention to. And it's something that I've been uh, hearing a lot of people talk about or seeing them write about on social media, where people are recognizing that this enforced kind of shelter at home period is really illuminating um, patterns of overworking or patterns of stress. And a lot of people are um, kind of feeling, you know, a desire to, to return back to work, but a desire for work to be really different, um, a desire for work to be something that is less kind of like constantly running on this treadmill, trying to achieve, trying to get something um, that really is, is a, a liminal attainment um, and more something that is uh, a collectively generated experience. Um, I want to work in a way that's creative, that is bringing me into connection with people in a meaningful way. So I'm hearing this from a lot of people, and I think just this opportunity to pause is giving a lot of people um, the space and the time to really check in with themselves. So as Pluto turns retrograde, it's a great time to think about how do each of us work to um, break down and transform these killing effects of uh, capitalist um, misogynist patriarchy, right? White supremacist patriarchy. These are mind states that each of us have absorbed regardless of skin tone, body size, shape, etc. We're all telling ourselves um, these stories of, of falsehoods. You know, what 
what our bodies mean in terms of their equation with value and labor. How do we break down these ideas in our own minds? How do we work against this machine um, through our own lives, through the ways that we um, empower ourselves, empower our communities, confront what we feel to be uh, unfair or destructive in um, you know, our city politics and our familial structures, etc. As Saturn turns retrograde, a lot of people are going to be rethinking their work. Saturn is a planet that describes labor and responsibility and work. So with Saturn retrograde um, over the summer, again, What's going on in the labor market? What's going on with people's jobs? A lot of people are getting laid off. Industries are transforming. Even as uh, the economies reopen and people start to move back towards work, I think that there's going to be a lot of up and down, a lot of folks recognizing that industries need to change. And again, that they might want to be working differently. And so this summer is going to be a big time uh, for everybody or for a lot of people to be considering that. And then finally, Jupiter is a symbol of growth, how we recognize our own potentiality, our desires to grow and understand the meanings of our lives. And when Jupiter turns retrograde, uh, that awareness turns inward, and we recognize that growth happens uh, through an internal awareness process. And we want to grow through working with ourselves, through working to transform um, and restructure Wherever Capricorn is in your chart is definitely a place to pay attention to. This is um, the house which uh, its themes are going to be restructured, revised, etc. with these retrogrades. Um, in your audio horoscopes for your sun and your rising sign, listen because I talk about the retrogrades there and Capricorn's significance for each sign. Finally, the last planet that's going to be uh, stationing retrograde in Taurus season is Venus. And Venus will station retrograde on May 12th um, at 21 degrees of Gemini. And it will uh, travel retrograde until June 25th, where it will station direct at 5 degrees of Gemini. So if you have any natal planets or placements between 5 and 21 degrees of Gemini, um, or any of the mutable signs, Virgo, Sagittarius, and Pisces, um, definitely pay attention because Venus's retrograde is uh, an important one for you, either being conjunct your Gemini aspects or in hard aspects, square opposition with the mutable signs, um, which will definitely stimulate uh, those energies, those house themes. Venus is the planetary ruler of Taurus, and so the fact that it's stationing retrograde during Taurus season um, underscores this uh, energy of unknowing, of unpredictability, of things being back and forth, of a lot of change um, that we already have in Taurus season. Um, Venus is the planetary symbol of love and money, and so it represents relationship, what we are attracted to in other people, and how we attract uh, towards ourselves. It definitely is associated to appearances and to aesthetics, as well as to our values. What do we think is important, and what do we want to own and to accumulate? Um, when Venus is in Gemini, it's moving through the sign of the mind. Gemini speaks to the mental activity and the ways that we uh, learn to identify ourselves through making connections, informational connections, um, specifically around what's normal. 
So Gemini speaks to the process of socialization. As young people, uh, little babies and little kids, we grow up um, in whatever communities or environments we do, and whatever it is that we're around, that's the thing that's normal. Those languages, those people, uh, patterns of behavior, etc., that's the thing that's normal. Um, whatever is normal is integrated as expected and then what's expected um, comes into our assumptions how we think how we talk how we communicate with other people and of course as we grow and experience our lives we continue to be socialized we continue to absorb new pieces of information to make connections between information and to learn and Gemini really speaks to this process of learning of language of articulation etc so Venus moving through Gemini on the one hand could speak to us about the ways that we uh, want to come into relationship with our minds. Um, in soul-centered astrology or esoteric astrology as written about by Alice Bailey and Alan Oaken, Venus is described as uh, the soul-centered ruler of Gemini. And how I understand this is that Mercury is the traditional ruler of Gemini and a mercurial energy is very mental. That means that it's not necessarily heart-based, it's informational. Um, it can be quite mischievous. And Venus, as the soul-centered ruler of Gemini, teaches us that the mind can be an ally to the heart and that the true heart, or excuse me, the true mind is in the heart. Um, so all the way back at the beginning of this podcast when I was talking about mindfulness and the process of uh, watching what our minds do with sensation, I would say that this could be one way that we really work with Venus and Gemini is to heal the body-mind split. Um, and this healing of the body-mind split is uh, definitely important when we consider the transits of uh, Saturn through Aquarius and the square to Uranus and Taurus, Aquarius being a sign also very much associated with um, the nervous system and the pathways of thought, and Taurus again being a sign associated with the body. But the healing of the split is uh, what allows clarity in the heart to come through. So if I'm up in my mind in an experience of discomfort, I might project the cause of my discomfort onto my friend and get pissed off at my friend and, you know, say something mean to them. And then we have a conflict, then we have a rift between us. But if I take the time to really um, kind of notice what's happening with my discomfort, how I'm responding to it, that I can breathe through it, that it's a sensation that's going to change, um, I will then also notice the pattern or the desire in my mind to separate or distance myself from my discomfort and maybe the, the reactive, very childlike instinct to blame someone else for my discomfort. And if I take the time to really consider what's that going to be like if I blame my friend for this, um, I'll probably come to the conclusion that that will be even more unpleasant than the unpleasantness that I'm going through. That's going to be another layer of unpleasantness. And this is what I see as the potential for Venus and Gemini, and particularly Venus retrograde in Gemini, is that we can work skillfully with the mind to cultivate wisdom. Um, and so I've heard Buddhist teachers talk about the wise mind or the discerning mind a lot as the ability to recognize when uh, we have habits that lead to suffering. So if I'm um, you know, reactive in a particular way, and I want to blame my friend for something, get angry at her, um, then that's going to create a, a state that then is probably going to be unpleasant for me. 
um, the conflict that I'm in with my friend, the state of agitation and the conflict, um, that's not a very fun place to be. It's not a generative place to be. Upon reflection, I probably don't want to be in that place. So it could require some discipline, some fortitude on my part, you know, working with my discomfort to not blast out and blame her. Um, but the end goal, if I don't do that, will probably lead to less discomfort in the long term. So this cultivation of wisdom, the wise mind, is being able to recognize when we have habits that lead us into places of discomfort or greater suffering, and that we have the freedom to make other choices. So we don't have to perpetuate um, the same habits and the same choices that lead us into um, you know, shitty feelings. Like it doesn't feel good to be in a place of hatred. It doesn't feel good to be in a place of um, anger or resentment. I would rather work with myself to move through those sensations in a productive, uh, caring, mindful way than to react from those sensations and to make them stronger, to make them worse. I don't want to make more suffering for myself. So Venus, um, as the soul-centered ruler of Gemini and Venus's retrograde, can be a space for us to recognize that the mind is an ally. And we can work um, with the, the natural tendency of the mind to categorize and compare and separate. So the mind um, really loves to compare and to categorize, to, to say, oh, that's you and this is me, or that's black and this is white, or that's wrong and this is right. And the, the mind is really good at creating categories and using language. And again, one of Gemini's function is language, and language is a function of separation. So with Venus moving through uh, this sign, we can work to connect to our actual values um, through the mental process, through the linguistic process. We talk to ourselves, we notice what the mind is doing with sensation. Um, Venus as the ruler of Taurus and Libra is an embodiment of the Taurian Libran uh, imperatives of tranquility, equanimity, love, re relationality, partnership, agreement, harmony. Venus wants these things for us and when Venus moves through Gemini and particularly when it's retrograde, um, we get to see how we can create these circumstances or not. Now, my particular experience with uh, Venus retrogrades is that relationship issues come up and those relationship issues become places of profound teaching where I really recognize my own tendencies in relationship. Um, so watch what happens for you with this, um, with this Venus retrograde. And um, let's all do our best um, to, to work for minds that uplift rather than torment our hearts. Um, all right, so I'm going to pause there for the Taurus season episode, and um, please listen to your audio horoscopes for more information about astrology, particularly as it pertains to your sign. Um, there's a ton more information in the extended forecast for subscribers. I go through every day of Taurus season and talk about planetary aspects and lunar cycles, and subscribers also get access to my month ahead calendar, where every day there's some kind of prompt 
prompt to work with. There's an embodiment practice or a meditation or a journaling entry, some kind of uh, creative or reflective prompt to work with uh, integrating and embodying the astrology. Um, subscribers also get discounts to all of my online offerings and um, also get to know that their monthly donations sustain this work and you can subscribe at any amount per month that's fully by donation and your subscriptions literally um, make this podcast happen every month so thank you so much for your support um, last thing I want to say is please check out the most recent guest episode. I mentioned this in the introduction, but my conversation with Ramon Gabrieloff Parrish um, a couple of weeks ago about generational aspects and the chart for COVID-19 um, was such a fun conversation to have. Ramon is an amazing philosopher and astrologer and um, such a joy to talk to. And if you're interested in astrology as a generational signature and the astrology for the COVID pandemic, um, you'll for sure be interested in that episode. Um, Ramon and I are planning to do a uh, virtual class together on generational astrology where we'll talk about the um, generational signatures. We'll probably go back at least to the 1950s or, or 40s or so. Um, and if you're interested in generational signatures and thinking about the kind of uh, larger cultural cycles um, that astrology can illustrate, then definitely join us for that. And dates and times and more information will all be coming soon. Um, I definitely would love to see you for the upcoming new moon and full moon lunar attunement rituals. Again, those are April 22nd and May 7th, and all of the proceeds will be going to Seeding Sovereignty's Indigenous Impact Initiative. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. I'm wishing you all the best in Taurus season and beyond. Much love and bye for now. <laughs>